Weird. 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 Where's the cash? Where's the story? <laughs> Where's the beer? A comedy podcast about the weirdness all around us. I'm Jeff Powers. And I'm Chris Hopp. Let's get weird. Hi, Chris. Oh, hi there, Jeff. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Yeah, having a pretty good week so far? Yep. Nice and busy. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds about right. Do you have any weird news to talk about? Egypt issued a passport for Pharaoh Ramses II. Apparently, at one point, France required a passport for anybody that passed in or out of the country, uh, even if they were you know, living or dead. And so Egypt had to issue a passport to the deceased Pharaoh. Uh, you can even look it up. There's a this picture of his passport. <laughs> and it's just got his picture and stuff on there. Uh, he doesn't look so great in that passport picture, but I don't think any of us do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny did they just take a picture of like his sarcophagus or what no they was it was the actual mummy like oh. unwrapped and everything so it's his Ugh. like like dead face <laughs> from like three thousand years so like he looks pretty awful Yikes. um in the picture uh let's see other weird stuff that are happening um a guy was um he was hearing weird noises in his house and he thought it was some like water leaking into his roof, um, and uh, there was something going on in the ceiling. When all of a sudden, a hundred pounds worth of snake suddenly fell into his house. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it was two male pythons that were uh, fighting each other over a mate. They couldn't find the female that they were after so the guy just like figured that okay well later there's going to be some other snake that falls in through some other part of my house oh my um, goodness this, this was in australia so i guess probably not terribly uncommon i don't know like i mean everybody seems to have snakes everywhere wow but uh yeah i thought that was kind of a, kind of a weird <laughs> story that i read yeah. it made me laugh um Let's see, uh, other things, I mean, Halloween's coming up, so uh, I saw this uh, story that uh, for Japan, uh, in order to enact social distancing um, and still have, you know, some Halloween fun, they've made this uh, drive through haunted house. Oh, that's so fun. So that, uh, yeah, so you could still be scared, but it's, but it's still, anybody that's going to scare you is still going to maintain at least two meters of distance away from you, <laughs> right. so then I don't know how scary it actually it is. But I thought that was kind of funny. And uh, it uh, led me to uh, this giant list of uh, the most haunted places in the world. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to know about them? Yeah. Tell me all of them. Uh, okay. All of them. There are none because ghosts aren't real. Huh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's kind of just a fun, weird little thing that I wanted to start off. But I thought it would lead well into your story this week. Oh. Ho, ho. And some kind of creepy goings on. In uh, in Virginia. Yes. So this is uh, an urban legend. And uh, I know we've talked a little bit about urban legends on previous episodes. So uh, yeah. before I dive into this one, I wanted to talk a little bit about urban legends in general. All right. So first, what is an urban legend? It's always a good question to ask. What What is an urban legend? It's a, a type of modern folklore that often contains horrifying or humorous elements. Um, some people view them as pure entertainment. 
but they can also be useful psychological tools to help us make sense of the world around us. Okay, so kind of like most legends do uh, for things. They kind of give us some place and some understanding of things. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, Jeff, just a broad question to you. Why do you think urban legends are awesome? Ooh, um, that's a tough question. Um, A, they're probably really, I think they're really good stories. Um, I think we all enjoy a good story, whether it's scary or not. Oh, yeah. I think urban legends, too, they're relatable um, because they're more modern tellings of stories, even if the moral is obscured by something in the story. Um, I still think they're kind of a, a relatable um, a relatable event by being, you know, a, a modern contemporary story rather than, say, like a fairy tale or something that takes place a lot longer ago. But yeah, I think the key is that we're just, as humans, we, we want stories. We crave them. We enjoy them. Uh, realistic or not, I think we just like storytelling. What about you? What do you think about urban legends? Yeah, I think it's a great medium for uh, storytelling. Uh, kind of roots us roots the story in the real world which lends it some uh right. you know some believability but also leaves a bit of room for the fantastic mm-hmm. so i think that's a great uh, a medium yeah especially like modern ghost story type things right like it gives us that yep, sense of for the, sure. the fantastical i think too urban legends have this kind of weird they exist in kind of this weird liminal space too because i feel a lot of the time they um they take up this space that could easily be real even if it's like not just the fictional like fantastical type ones but a lot of the urban legends that we see are sort of taken from real life or uh, life sometimes imitates art in a sense where you see like maybe some crazy mad killer that's like you know living out some kind of urban legend type thing or some urban legend that turns out to be true but um, I think they exist in kind of this weird space, and I think that's why things like creepy pasta and other uh, modern forms of urban legends are kind of uh, they're kind of an interesting and creepy medium in that uh, they very much play with that strange space between what is real and what isn't, and kind of our ability to tell the difference mm-hmm. between yep. the two. Right? I think there was an article that I was looking at that was talking about how, you know how much more prevalent urban legends and things are now because of things like the internet and, um, you know, the non, like the immediacy of news and reporting and how it's not always fact-checked with complete clarity. So things that are legend or, you know, exaggerated in some way can, you know, end up on the news and cause like panics or whatever else. So. All right. Well, uh, excellent. So now that we're on the same page regarding urban legends, Uh, Let's dive into this one. Sounds good. Tell me all about it. Uh, In this episode, I'll be talking about the legend of the bunny man. Oh, all right. So this particular legend has circulated for years in several forms, uh, but most of them involve a man wearing a rabbit costume who attacks people with an axe. Gotta love a good axe murderer story. Let's dive into the details. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the more popular versions of the story was posted online in in the late 90s by Timothy C. Forbes, Uh, It states that in 1904, a man named Douglas Grifton murdered his family on Easter Sunday with an axe and was then institutionalized near Clifton, Virginia. Now, later on, the institute was then shut down and all of the inmates were to be transferred to a nearby penitentiary, uh, Lorton Prison. One of the 15 transports uh, carrying the inmates crashed, leading to both the death of many passengers, but also the escape of 10 inmates. 
A search party was called, but they could only find nine of them. Ooh, I'm getting like flashbacks of uh, the fugitive. You got like sick uh, Tommy Lee Jones on. Uh, he's gonna check every doghouse and outhouse and and whatnot to find them. Yeah, we gotta find them. Gotta find them. <laughs> I did not kill my wife. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just thought you'd want to know that. Okay, if you're curious. <laughs> Uh, so around this time, uh, people began finding uh, many cleanly skinned and half-eaten rabbits hanging from trees in a nearby forest. Uh, another search of the area was ordered, but this time the remains of a man named Marcus Walster was found. He was left skinned, and this is where some of the stories diverge a bit. He was either left hanging in a tree or under a bridge overpass which was later named the Bunny Man Bridge. So the police named the missing inmate as their suspect for the murder, and then they gave him the name the Bunny Man. That's pretty gruesome, and quite a leap up from rabbits to people, but I guess he had already started by murdering his whole family. Yikes. Sounds like an unpleasant dude. Yep, so the story continues. The officials finally managed to track him down. They attempted to arrest him at the overpass, However, he almost escaped before being hit by an oncoming train near where the original inmate transport crashed. Officers claim that even as the train continued past, they could still hear the bunny man laughing. Ugh, okay, that's creepy. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, we're, we're recording this in like the middle of the night, and so like these kind of stories are still a little eerie, even for <laughs> someone who doesn't believe yeah. a lot of these things. But uh, yeah, okay, that's... Uh... A little chilling. Yeah, so that's the legend. <laughs> okay. It's pretty weird. Yeah, it's creepy. So we can dig into it a little bit and see, is there any truth to it? I mean, just the idea of a bunny man, like, I mean, they don't really, they didn't really specify whether it's, he's just known as the bunny man because of all the bunnies that they were finding or like if he dressed up like a bunny, like, I mean, both are pretty creepy, but the idea of like a guy in a bunny costume, especially if you look at those old photos, any time earlier than like the eighties, like the, the rise of sort of pop marketalism kind of thing. But if you look at uh, like any of those mascots, like if you could find a picture of your parents posing with the Easter bunny when they were kids, like that Easter bunny is terrifying. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, like they're just, they're always creepy. I don't know why, but they're always creepy. So the idea of somebody dressed even in that, which seems ridiculous, um, just is still kind of terrifying. Yes, I agree. Um, is there any truth to this uh, oh. this legend? <laughs> uh, well, there was one historian slash archivist. He was named Brian A. Conley. He spent quite some time researching the Bunny Man legend. He found that there has never been an asylum for the insane in Fairfax County and that Lorton Prison didn't come into existence until 1910, and even then it was an arm of the District of Columbia Correction System and not part of Virginia's. Also, uh, court records show that uh, neither a Grifton nor a Walster ever existed. Wow, so pretty definitive so, proof that every detail in the legend is not true. Yes. Okay. So usually a, a mark of a, a more believable legend is lots of smaller details. Right. But that also helps to disprove it later on too. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you've got something firm that you can then research and look into. Right. So, so n- nail in the coffin then? No no bunny man at all? I would say so. The original legend at least. Okay. Uh, there were a number of incidents in the 70s involving the legend. Okay. Um. There was a man named Robert Bennett and his fiancée. They were sitting in a car together in Fairfax around midnight when a man dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears appeared. And uh, at that point, 
He yelled at the couple that they were on private property and then threw a wood-handled hatchet through the front car's windshield. Jeez. <laughs> and luckily, oh, nobody was hurt. Oh, that's good. Man, that just, <laughs> yes. just makes me think of, like, Fuzzy Lompkins from uh, Powerpuff Girls, and he's just like, stay off of my property! <laughs> and then just, like, throwing an axe through somebody's windshield. <laughs> God, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Bunny suit or not, that's, uh, that's frightening. Although they did uh, end up keeping the hatchet, and they have it mounted on their wall. And uh, I made for a nice story. (laughs) I guess so. It's like your kids or your grandkids are asking about it. And it's like, what's that axe for? It's like, oh, well, let me tell you the story of the bunny man. Grandma and I were making out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they have a little plaque underneath that says, our hair-raising encounter. (laughs) (laughs) Ax me about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's still yeah. a good story, and that's that's a true one, right? Like we we have evidence. Well, yeah, the axis exists. Happens. I mean, the okay. As far as the the that's, story, there there yeah. is an axis. We have some we hard know. evidence. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Property of the Bunny Man, written clearly on the side of the axe. <laughs> uh, so two weeks after that uh, windshield incident, the Bunny Man appeared again, very close to the original sighting. There was a private security guard named Paul Phillips. They saw him on the front porch of a newly constructed but supposedly unoccupied house. He was holding an axe. And the security guard said, I started talking to him and that's when he started chopping. (laughs) Taking several swings at a pole on the porch, the bunny man threatened Phillips and said, All you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you on the head. (laughs) He really doesn't like trespassing, but... uh... I'm going to bust you on the head. Yep. Seems like an odd threat for somebody yep. with an axe. Okay. Yeah. So then uh, Phillips presumably left That's after good. that. I would I would get the head <laughs> out of there. <laughs> yeah, me yeah. too. Don't don't trust anybody with an axe yep. or anyone in a bunny costume. Yes. <laughs> those are my, my two takeaways from this story. Yep. So uh, in terms of popular culture influence, there was a 2011 film called Bunny Man that tells a version of the story. That's a great film. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen it, <laughs> to be honest, but... Uh, it's on my list. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll have to put it on mine, too. Great. <laughs> uh, there were also two video games created, one of which was a clone of the Slender Man game, and it was called Bunny Man Lost Souls. And there was a seemingly unrelated game called Super Bunny Man, and it's a cooperative platformer. Nice. I love that game. I have contemplated buying it a couple of times because oh, it yeah? just seems hilarious. <laughs> It's just so weird. So is there is there any connection between the bunny man and like when you said you were doing this um this story the first thing I thought of was the 80s band Echo and the Bunny Men which is just a great new wave band that I've always enjoyed. Um any connection to them possibly? Uh I did a bit of research and I actually could not find any connection between the the legend and that band. Oh, that's too bad. And uh similarly I was also unable to confirm if the legend of the bunny man had any influence on the movie Donnie Darko oh, as well. I love that movie, which features yes. a song from Echo and the Bunny Men oddly enough. Yes. So, uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> it's too, you know, probably not related, but uh you know, always good opportunity for creepy bunny related stuff. When yeah. I wouldn't have thought of bunnies as being creepy, but uh, yet, you know, I guess they can they can pull it off sometimes. Yeah, for sure. So a cool fact in Google Maps, the bridge overpass is actually labeled the Bunny Man Bridge. 
Isn't that fun? That's, yeah, it's kind of neat. I'm sure it's not its a official name, but the fact that somebody put it on there on the official Google map, that's kind of funny. Yes. So I guess you can find it. Go scope it out. Excellent. So yeah, that uh, concludes my part. I guess I'll uh, list my sources. Great story. Uh, I used Ranker, The Washingtonian, and Wikipedia. Excellent. You're listening to Where's the Weird? Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do you have something cool to talk about? I do, actually. Uh, So mine is less uh, spine-tingly or chilling or creepy. Um, I'm going to talk about sports. uh, I love sports. Do you? (laughs) They're actually a little bit creepy. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, people who want to do sports, I find a little odd. I'm not I'm not a sports person at all, so I wouldn't have even thought of doing something like this, but uh, just kind of an odd story that involves sports. Um, so I don't know if anybody else out there. So don't, don't tune out if you're like me and you're not into sports. You might still find this uh, story interesting. Uh, I'm going to talk about the 1904 Olympics. Oh, 1904. Uh, yeah. That's when my <laughs> legend happened. Oh, that's right. That's the legend of the Bunny Man <laughs> happened the same. Oh, wow. That's kind of funny. This is the 1904 this, episode. This is the 1904 episode. Um, <laughs> should we start naming our episodes? I, I just thought of that. Like, like <laughs> I've uh, I've just been calling them like episode one, episode two. Uh, maybe, maybe we should uh, start naming them. Yep. All right. So um, like I yeah. said, sports are not my area of expertise. Um, I don't know anything about sports, uh, but I do find the story of the 1904 Olympics, especially the accompanying marathon that happened, to be really fascinating and terribly weird. Um, at least weird in how awfully it was handled. Oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> this this was a bad Olympics, Uh-oh. so uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. So uh, some background stuff for you, um, but it's it's the marathon that I want to talk about. But I think you got to get some background on uh, what all was happening. Uh, that led up to this point, okay. just so you can understand how screwed up these these games were. Uh, 1904 was the year of the third gathering of the modern Olympics. So it is just after the revival of the Olympics, uh, oh. what we think of it, the Olympics now. Um, so this was only the third attempt to do one. And it was the first time that the, that the games had been held outside of Europe. Uh, the Olympic Committee chose Chicago. They won the bid to host the games. But St. Louis, uh, just across the state, uh, was holding their Louisiana Purchase Exposition at the exact same time. And they didn't like that the Olympics were going to be around. And so they actually threatened uh, to add a sporting event to the exposition in order to overshadow the Olympics. Like, they were basically like, well, we can have sports and our sports will be better. And so (laughs) the... uh, yeah, so the Olympic Committee actually decided then to change the venue, and they moved the Olympics to St. Louis. Wow. So some people were happy about this, some some weren't. Yeah, um, that certainly wouldn't happen in modern times. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. But you also, like, it was, it was I think, a small enough right. thing that enough complaints uh, were able to change that. Um, but you'll see this is this is a lot different than what we think of now as, like, the massive Olympic Games. This is things on a much smaller scale. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. So the games were off to a pretty bad start by this point already because you had all these other things going on. Um, there's a, a 
an exhibition that's going on at the same time that people are already going to and seeing other things. The St. Louis Exposition actually still went ahead with having their sporting events. Oh, really? So they did have their own sporting <laughs> stuff. And it was just kind of like a, you know, we'll show you sort of thing. The Olympics, you know, weren't, weren't off to a great start. The Russo-Japanese War was like just recently happening and along with that there was um the difficulties of trying to get to st louis so we're talking 1904 yeah you had to pretty much take a boat to north america and then take a train inland quite a bit into uh st louis oh yeah so there was not a lot of people who were actually willing to make that journey in order to get to the Olympic Games. Yeah, the world was a lot bigger place, so to speak. Yeah, especially before airplanes yeah. and things could just easily get you there. Uh, so only 12 countries actually managed coming. And like, I mean, even the previous years, there was quite a few more. I think it was um, like a few hundred uh, countries. Uh, so it was pretty small. And the majority of the athletes who competed were either American or Canadian. Uh, so there was 650 or so athletes in total, and only 62 of them actually came from outside of North America. Oh, wow. So <laughs> that's that's pretty small. It's, about, <laughs> it's like a 10%, you know, of the people there. So that's going to tell you a lot of, like, who's involved in some of the sporting events. Most of the other countries probably don't have a big chance. Uh, there was also only six women in total, which oh. I thought was kind of weird. Yeah. So I didn't dive too much into the research on this, but um, I'm guessing that they didn't have their own events or there was very minimal women's events if there's only six total athletes. Mm -hmm. The uh, the 1904 Olympics would be the first year to use the bronze, silver, and gold medal awards for the top uh, awards. So that's that's kind of a... A benchmark thing that we think of for the Olympics. This was the Olympics that started that. Oh, that's neat. Uh, it was also the year that boxing, uh, freestyle wrestling, and the decathlon oh. made their debut. But really, anything this Olympic Games did to advance the international event was pretty easily eclipsed by how much of a show it turned oh, out to no. be. It was <laughs> yeah, total disaster. So um, most of the other things, like there was, I mean. I, I know there was a lot of people who talked about how uh, there was one guy who won three different events at one Olympics because uh, they, they still had tug of war was there. Um, this was the last year that golf was there until I think the most recent summer Olympics. Oh, really? Um, I think it was like the, the Rio Olympics. So, I mean, there was there was some interesting things about it, but uh, we're going to get into why this one was so bad. Well, I'm interested to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I've built it up yeah, for you. for sure. Um, so there was a lot that went wrong with the games, uh, but it's the running of the 1904 Olympic Marathon that we're that I'm here to talk about. This is where the story goes from mm -hmm, interesting to kind of what the hell territory. <laughs> okay. Right. So uh, <laughs> keyed up is the main event of the Olympic Games. The marathon was meant to connect the modern games with its ancient roots in Greece. Uh, the marathon is modeled uh, after the fabled running of a soldier from the Battle of Marathon to Athens. Um, I'm currently reading a book about that battle, which was um, what inspired me to do this story. I was reading this book. It's called Marathon. And, um, you know, I started looking into, you know, the marathon and where the name comes from. And marathons are typically around 42 kilometers, which is supposed is that distance between where the battle took place and Athens. And that soldier ran that distance 
um, all at once in order to uh, tell of the victory at the Battle of Marathon. Um, it's typically run as a road race rather than a cross-country one. Okay. Uh, so at the 1904 games, runners were required to run the race over uh, steep hills. So there were seven hills, um, and they were quite steep. Uh, there was blistering heat. They had to dodge cars and oh even trains because the course wasn't closed. <laughs> they didn't close the, the the anything to traffic. It was just basically just open, just go for it. The cars that were driving by were kicking up oh. dust and things. Um, one of the organizers, the main head guy of the Olympic Games, decided, I guess, sadistically or whatever, but he was going to require that the runners run without any water. What? Yeah, so forty two kilometers with no water in in the middle of like August oh. heat in um yeah oh in uh, in you know the middle of the U.S. in the summer he thought it would be a great experiment on the limits of human endurance. This guy was kind of like a weird wackadoodle kind of guy, so you can already see how bad that this is going to get once the runners actually start oh, this geez. race. So um. We're going to get into some of the, the key players here. Um, so of the of the runners in the event, <laughs> two of them had previously run in the Boston Marathon, uh, which was you know still a fairly new thing. Uh, while two other athletes, uh, the competitors from Greece, they had never been in any competitive running event ever. Oh. So like they weren't even runners. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's meet some of the other competitors and talk about their horrible fates. Oh. So an American, John Lorden, was one of the winners of the Boston Marathon. He was favored to win, but he quickly dropped out of the race after he started profusely vomiting and passed out within the first oh. mile or half mile. Oh. So uh, he didn't even make it half a mile in before he was just like he was toasted. Shortly behind Lorden was William Garcia. Uh, who collapsed from inhaling too much dust. Uh, he nearly died in the hospital from uh, problems with his esophagus and in a torn stomach lining. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, you know, people who say, like me, who say sports are boring, ugh, maybe not so much. <laughs> oh, geez. Thomas Hicks uh, was uh, another American runner. He actually had his, his trainers driving alongside of him as he ran. Uh, he, he kept begging them for a drink of something because he was so parched and uh, they refused. They just kept saying, no, you're not allowed anything to drink. Finally, seven miles from the finish line, they gave him a sort of performance enhancing concoction. And it was made entirely out of egg whites and rat poison. What? <laughs> so <clears throat> did it work? <laughs> well, so this came from the idea that like strychnine in small amounts was found to have this sudden like energetic boost as the body kind of panicked from having this small amount of poison in its system. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it was really so beneficial for him. We're going to we're going to come back to him in a second. Okay. <laughs> South African Len Tao, who was one of the first-time uh, competitors. There was two guys who were the first-time uh, competitors from the entire continent of Africa. Um, and Len Tao was actually chased off of the course by a stray dog. And so uh, just randomly this dog comes up and just starts chasing him, biting at him. Oh. He managed to outrun this dog for over a mile. Oh, wow. And then later <laughs> finished the race. I think I think he got like 16th or something like that, but he actually did hmm. uh, manage to finish the race, which, given what happens to a lot of these other guys, is still pretty impressive. Then, uh, so one of my favorites uh, in this race is a guy named uh, Felix 
Carvajal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But uh, he was a runner from Cuba, and he used to show off how great he was at running. He would run from one end of the Cuban island all the way to the other. And just like, so he he was kind of a favorite. Everybody liked him. He was very charismatic. Uh, He managed to raise all the money to go to the Olympics all by himself. And then he immediately lost all of that money after arriving in New Orleans. He just gambled it all away. (laughs) And so he had nothing left but the clothes on his back. No other gear, nothing. So he ended up having to walk from New Orleans over 600 miles to St. Louis uh, to get to the games. He managed to get there just in time before the event started. Um, But, of course, he had, like, no uh, running equipment, nothing. So he actually ran this race in his, like, regular street clothes, which if you look at pictures, it's, like, a long sleeve shirt trousers uh like regular oh you know hard sole shoes <laughs> uh he even has a funny beret this guy is is quite funny and i enjoy his uh his part in this race so partway through the race felix was getting kind of hungry a little bit thirsty and he thought that he needed some like a bit of a snack and he saw that somebody had some fruit some little peaches and stuff and he actually just stole them and just <laughs> ran off eating these peaches and and running um and he liked them so much that he he wanted some more so he left the course and actually went out into an apple orchard and just started eating apples in this apple orchard um but he probably ate a few too many because he ended up getting kind of a stomach cramp so he laid down and he took a nap so we'll come back to felix in a second he's 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 gonna take a nap for a little bit so um, most famous in this race is probably um, a New Yorker named Fred Lors. He was also suffering from cramps for the better part of the race. And so Lors needed a bit of a break from running. So he decided to hop into a passing car. <laughs> he just like jumped on and they stated that he was waving at spectators and the other runners <laughs> as they were driving by. He just Jeez. took this car. <laughs> He's just driving for a while. For 11 miles, he rides in this car, and then he just hops out and then runs the last little bit of the race. He manages to be the first one across the finish line. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course. He's he's at the finish line. They're cheering on him. They put the little laurel wreath over his head. Uh, They're about to put the gold medal um, around his neck. And somebody in the crowd just starts yelling out, imposter! And, like, everybody starts booing because they knew exactly what he had done. Right. <laughs> um, and then, so Lors just stated that, like, he never intended to accept the medal. He was he was just finishing the race as a joke, which, I mean, I, I feel I hear that all the time. It's like anytime something doesn't work properly, oh, it was a joke, don't worry. It was, <laughs> it was just a joke. I got caught. Um, yeah. So Lors got disqualified. <laughs> Uh, so Hicks, who's now hallucinating on strychnine and completely dehydrated, is, you know, the next one in. He knows that he oh. can now make it. He kept thinking that the, the finish line was another 20 miles away because he just couldn't, like, his brain couldn't grasp things. Um, oh, no. And his trainers just told him, like, you can keep going. You can get this. You know, you just got to get up. Uh, you're the next one to finish because the other guy got disqualified. And uh, to help, you know, get his motivation going, they gave him another dose of rat poison and uh, they helped him wash it down with some brandy that he had. (laughs) (laughs) So he did manage to make it across the finish line before collapsing. Um, And then when people asked him, 
like about it about the course and stuff he claimed that the problem was the hills oh geez so, <laughs> so it he was survived after all that yeah he survived like oh i goodness. i think he was in pretty rough shape for a while but uh yeah he managed to live through it felix of cuba uh he managed to wake up from his nap and he still finished the race uh getting fourth place which is surprising for somebody who slept through part of it. Yeah, of the... it's a real, uh, <laughs> a real life version of the tortoise and the hare. Yeah, really, right? He That's did what I thought well too. Considering his yeah. nap, <laughs> <laughs> he learned the wrong lesson from the tortoise and the hare. He's just like, well, I could nap for a while. Um, but uh, so of the fourteen runners uh, who finished, like there was there was thirty two people who had started. And only 14 of them managed to last it to the very end and finish the race. Because of the travesty of the 1904 Olympics and how awful the marathon went, uh, there was a threat that the marathon was going to get removed from all future Olympics, uh, that there was a mark put on the Olympics in general, and that it could harm the modern Olympic Games. They were worried about this. So instead of waiting four years for the next Olympics, as they had done for the previous two, they decided in two years they were going to do another Olympics, sort of a makeup Olympics, um, and it was going to be in Athens, you know, home of the Olympics. And mm. um, they did keep the marathon. It's still a staple to this day. Um, and that's the awful story of the 1904 St. Louis Olympic Games. Wow. So in the, the second one, did they have cars? No, I don't. No? I don't think they did. <laughs> um, they said that like the Paris Olympics, which was the one in 1900, I think the one mm -hmm. previous that there that it was kind of a disaster as well. Right. Like it wasn't oh. run very well. Um, I think the hurdles race, the hurdles were made out of like downed telephone poles and like it was oh, no. yeah it, it's so funny to think of like this giant spectacle that costs whatever host country like billions of dollars to put on to think of it in it's these sort of like humble roots in which like things were kind of slapdash together and nobody was attending and uh it was just kind of a ridiculous state for for quite a while until like i mean i think even by the time of world war ii the olympics still were were struggling to kind of get anywhere on the international stage, but the Athens Olympics were much bigger. It being in Europe, there another there was you know at least two hundred countries that uh, that competed that time, and I think it was oh a well, that's bit, good. Yeah, a little bit more closer to what we think of as um, the Olympics. So yeah, my uh, sources for this story was the Smithsonian, uh, Washington University of St. Louis, uh, an article from the Australian Broadcasting Company, and of course our friends at Wikipedia. Where would we be without them? <laughs> for sure. All right. So that was uh, a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you for being here to listen to it. I think it was uh, an entertaining one. I think it's just one of those weird things in history that uh, will probably get overlooked, but uh, kind of a fascinating and odd story. And I thought quintessential for the podcast. So uh, do you have a joke for me this week? Do I ever? Would you like to hear it? I would love to. What is fast, loud, and crunchy? I have no idea. A rocket chip. <laughs> That's good. That's yep. a good one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. And until next time, stay curious. And remember to ask, where's, where's the, the weird? weird? 
Where's the Weird is a Weirdy Beard production. It's written by Jeff Powers and Chris Hopp. If you'd like to support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where's the weird. I did not kill my wife.